Well, good afternoon, everyone. As Joe said, I'm Amy, and I've met lots of you before, but if I haven't met you before, uh, we live just in Carrington, my husband Adam, we have four small children. Um, I'm an only child, and I grew up with just me, my mum, and my dad at home. And when I was a kid, my best friend was a girl called Sophie, who was also an only child, and we did everything together. We were... um, quite close to being like sisters, just kind of in each out, out of each other's homes and just spending a lot of time together as families. And when I was 15, my parents sat me down uh, the day I was starting school, actually, that September, to say that Lauren's family, um, Sophie's family, had decided that they were going to move um, Sophie to a different school. And so um, just like that, she was gone. And I started that September feeling really disorientated, to be honest. And we still saw each other a little, but not in the day-to-day of schools. And it was just keeping in touch via our families, really. And I really struggled. Um, I suddenly had lost this companion. And it sounds dramatic to kind of look back and say now, but at the time, it really felt like this kind of death in my life. This friend I'd had for such a long time was gone. And a girl in my year, Lauren, who I knew a little, but not well, started to chat to me. And one day she said that she'd noticed we walked to and from school the same way. And she asked if I wanted to walk to school with her. And that invitation, that simple invitation, changed my life. I used to walk halfway to school, knock on her door, and she was never ready, not even close to ready. Um, She was the middle of three sisters and her house was loud, it was busy. There was this kind of din from upstairs of people borrowing each other's uniform and loud music and just this kind of hustle bustle of of a morning in their home. So much so that I would often go in, sit down in her kitchen with her parents, have another breakfast and spend time with them waiting for her to be ready. And then her mum would drive us to school because we'd run out of time to walk. And I found myself just completely captivated by her home. They chatted to me, they asked me questions. Her parents, her sisters and her were so curious about me. They asked me about my life, about my future, what I was interested in, how I was feeling. And I found myself getting up earlier and earlier to spend more and more of my morning in her home. I don't really remember when I've been thinking back on it, when they started to talk to me about Jesus and who Jesus was in their life. But I do remember that they just started to invite me to everything that they were doing as a family. And slowly, over time, I started to ask them about Jesus. And then one ordinary day in their front room, they prayed with me and I gave my life to Jesus. And it changed everything for me. Their hospitality to me as a family was so ordinary, but it was so transformative in my life. They welcomed me and slowly introduced me to Jesus. This morning, we are continuing our series on dependence, on what it looks like to live a life where we just can't manage without Jesus, where without him, the wheels fall off. We've looked at loads of different areas of life, decisions and suffering and worship, and what it looks like to depend on God in these different areas of our life. And this morning, this afternoon even, we are looking at hospitality. What does it mean to depend on God as we open up our homes and eat and drink together and share with those around us? Firstly, we need to have a think about what this word hospitality means. 
I'm sure we all have a picture in our minds of good hospitality. Maybe it's a Jamie Oliver meal that you've practiced and you've got down. Maybe it's your Christmas dinner that you look forward to with all the trimmings. Maybe it's a birthday cake and candles. I think we all have this picture in our mind of what good hospitality looks like. The Christian hospitality that I'm talking about today is different to entertaining or cooking or socialising. It's all about this word, welcome. Rosaria Butterfield wrote this incredible book on the subject of hospitality called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it's so good that I actually considered just reading a chapter here this morning, but I didn't. And um, she calls hospitality the ground zero of the Christian faith. She says, radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home as in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbours and neighbours family of God. John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York City, says this. He explains so well what this word hospitality means. The Greek word for hospitality is beautiful. It's philozenia. It's a compound combining, combining philos, a word meaning friend, and xenos, foreigner. Rather than fear of the other, hospitality is love for the other. And the reason God calls us to this kind of love is that that is the way that he has loved us. The word hospitality is the exact opposite to the word xenophobia. It's love rather than fear of the stranger. Here at Trinity, we talk about these three things a lot. Spending time with Jesus, like we've been doing just now, in prayer and worship and encounter. Becoming more like him and then doing the things that he did. Practicing hospitality, as we are commanded to do in Romans 12, is one of the key ways that we can become more like him and do the things that he did. It tells us in Luke 7.34 that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in Portland, says this, Jesus walked people into the kingdom of God one meal at a time. So I've been thinking and praying about what God might want to say to us here in Nottingham today about hospitality. And this is the phrase that has come to mind over, I've been, over the time that I've been sort of thinking and praying about this. And I want to unpack it a little bit this morning. Our meal tables are not our own. I don't know what your table looks like. Maybe it's polished wood and all the chairs match and there are coasters, which is a goal in my life. Um, maybe it's a countertop in your kitchen. Maybe it was there when you moved in and you share it with other people. Maybe it's the coffee table. Maybe it's the back of a magazine where you eat in front of the TV, which I love to do when I'm alone. In our house, our kitchen table is simple wooden table that my husband made, actually. It's very worn in. In fact, it's battered. It is uh, covered in crayon. It's often sticky with jam or paint. The chairs around it don't match. It's very ordinary. But I really think that that table is one of the most important possessions that I have. And I really hope that I don't take owning it lightly. I'm aware, hopefully daily, that that table's not mine. It belongs to Jesus. It sits in the middle of my messy and ordinary house 
and it waits for me to invite people to sit down at it. And when they sit there, he's always at the table with us and there's an open invitation to encounter his presence. Rosaria Butterfield again says this, our homes are not our castles. Indeed, they're not even ours. Instead, she has this phrase that I love. She says, our homes are embassies of God. Dependence in hospitality, I think, is knowing that the invitation we offer is to encounter Jesus. That's the invitation. It's not an invitation necessarily to a swanky dinner or a perfectly baked cake. In my house, if my husband is cooking, I can guarantee the food will be good. If I'm in charge, it will be takeaway or pizza or maybe just tea and toast. But really, the plate doesn't matter. The meal itself doesn't matter. The encounter that we offer matters. We see from our reading today in Matthew that Jesus calls Matthew a hated, corrupt and unpopular man and asks him to leave it all behind and follow Jesus. And he does that obediently. But the very next thing that he does is invites himself around to Matthew's house to surround himself with more people like Matthew, more tax collectors, more sinners, more messy, broken people, and to eat with them. It's been said that Jesus got himself killed because of who he was willing to eat with. If I was writing that storyline, I would imagine that Jesus would call Matthew and then whisk him away to spend time with him, away from this corrupt world and circle of friends that he'd been spending time with. But instead, Jesus welcomes them to dinner and eats with those people He is drawn to people like us, people who need his mercy and his grace, messy, complicated people. Who Jesus eats with is such a powerful picture of how he loves us. You and I can be confident that Jesus would eat with us and anyone we invite to eat with us too. Everyone in this city, tax collectors and sinners. In our Ephesians reading, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, urging them to live out practically the unity that Jesus' death and resurrection had accomplished for them. They'd heard the stories like this one in Matthew and others of how Jesus had lived his life. And they then had this hard task that we have now of working out how that looked in their community, how they were going to live it out in their place, in their lives. Paul is encouraging the Ephesians not to live as people from different backgrounds or religions or social groups, Jews and Gentiles, but instead to live as members of God's household. And this is how we are called to live today. We're shown in the life of Jesus and the writing of Paul how we can see everyone we come across, everyone with no exception, as members of the same heavenly household with Jesus at the cornerstone. He is the head of every table. The thing that I love about hospitality is that around a dinner table, everyone is needy, everyone's hungry, and everybody is coming to be satisfied. It doesn't matter if you've had a great day, you are on top of your game, you know exactly what you're doing, and you've smashed it. 
Or if that day you've really struggled, if you've let some people down, if you've disappointed yourself, if you've had another just regular day. When we sit down in front of a plate of food, all of us are needy. All of us are coming to be satisfied. And it's from that place of equality, of a long-sideness, that we can encounter one another and encounter Jesus. I think this is a really great time to be thinking about this topic of hospitality, as for so many of us, this is kind of a blank slate moment after this crazy 18 months that we've had. In amongst all the difficulties of the pandemic, many of us have appreciated the retreat into our homes. Free evenings and weekends, a cleared calendar, only having to dress the top half of you, <laughs> an excuse for early nights. Our homes have become quieter and more private than maybe ever before, with the government literally telling us not to have people over. So what comes next? Are you someone that's raring to go, raring to fill your calendar? Have you been thinking about what it looks like for you to emerge from this time? Are you nervous to fill up your diary again? I've been really thinking about this. I really don't think we should be rushing back to a busy social calendar and day after day of activity. I think hospitality trips us up if we think it's entertaining or socialising or an event. All of those things can be really fun, but they're tiring and stressful. And they encourage this busyness that I think we've all become really wary of. And yet, what if the next move of God in this city is as simple and as deep as the rediscovery of the meal table as a place of encounter? What if Jesus wants to walk the people of Nottingham into the kingdom one meal at a time? And what if your table is part of that plan? How do we live that out and not get weary? How do we eat and drink and be satisfied, not continue to be hungry and thirsty? I've been thinking and praying about this topic. I really didn't want to speak on this and just leave you feeling, oh my goodness, I've got to do more and more. So as I've thought about it in prayer, this is kind of the, um, the phrase that I've landed on. And I think that as a community, we need to move from gestures of hospitality to a posture of hospitality. A gesture can be a simple wave or a hug or a bunch of flowers. But a gesture can also be defined as an action performed for show with the knowledge it will have little effect. A gesture could be me eating a salad on a Monday morning in a gesture of starting over again. Or a gesture of hospitality could be a street party that you maybe do in your street once a year before you all retreat back into your homes to kind of complain about each other's messy driveways or whatever it is that we all do. In contrast, the word posture we've used here a lot at Trinity, a posture is a particular approach. It's an attitude, it's a lifestyle. I think a gesture like a bunch of flowers can go a really long way and can be a really good thing. But I would say that we all, me included, can fall into this trap of spending time with our people, our close family, our close friends, people who are like us and maybe don't challenge us. And then we offer some gestures of hospitality along the way. Maybe a dinner party, dinner party here or a play date there. I'm just not sure that's how Jesus lived his life. Whether introvert or extrovert, 
whether wealthy or scraping by, single or married, thriving or struggling, I think we can all find a way that Jesus can invite us into a life of hospitality. Okay, so how? How do we live this out in a way that we don't grow weary? I have four quick thoughts on this. The first is to be as ordinary as possible. Hospitality is the day-to-day stuff of eating and drinking, of stacking the dishwasher, of making sure there's loo roll. In my house, every time the bell rings, it's like, clear the laundry, someone wipe around the bathrooms. You know, there's just that regular stuff. It's inviting people into your home in a simple and unflashy way. I think one of the ways that we can ensure hospitality isn't daunting or draining is to keep it ordinary and to remember that the focus is on welcoming people. It's not on our reputation. It's not on our home or even what we're going to provide for that person when they come. It's about opening our home and our hearts to that person and welcoming them. Jesus was never flashy. He focused on relationship. We see this in the Bible. In John 21, Jesus appears to his disciples after he's been raised from the dead and simply says, come and have breakfast with me. When he was talking to the woman at the well, their conversation is intimate and it changes her life forever. But it begins with Jesus simply asking her for a drink. The line, one of the lines I love the best in the Gospels is while Jesus was reclining at the table. And it's used so many times. That's our God, a God of hospitality, a God who isn't in a hurry. We see him eating and drinking in relationship with people. In our home, we found that people receive the welcome of hospitality in really different ways. For example, some people feel really welcome when they can just crash on the sofa and we order a takeaway. Others love for Adam to try out like new recipes and cook this really extravagant meal. Others prefer a key to our home so they can come and go as they please and feel welcome on their own terms. Some love to come and just play with the children. Others walk the dog. Our next door neighbour, he is a really quiet man, but he loves like DIY. And if we go around and ask him for tools or help with anything, he loves that. And you just see him come alive and want to contribute. The goal is welcome. So that can look really different with each person. I think another way that hospitality can be daunting and draining is if we have to just keep adding more and more and more social occasions into our calendar. Instead, one way that we've found in our home that this stuff can play out in a more doable way is to welcome people into what you're already doing. I would encourage you maybe to just think about a regular week in your house. And I think you'll maybe find that there are some times that always look the same. So in our house, we often have a takeaway on a Friday night. We often have pancakes on a Saturday morning or after church on a Sunday, we'll all have lunch together. Those things are happening regardless They happen week in, week out. And so when we spend time with people and offer an invitation, those are the really easy places to invite people to join with us. So, yeah, maybe just think about what your week looks like. Where are those easy invites? Where are the meals that you're already having or the times you've already set aside? And where are the empty seats at the table that you can invite some more people in? I would just encourage us to welcome people into our lives and not to entertain them. 
Hospitality doesn't need to be shiny, but in 1 Peter, it tells us to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I think that means to offer hospitality and welcome on our best days and our off days. Perhaps for you, the ordinary of hospitality is a more long-term welcome. Maybe it's offering a spare room to someone. Maybe it's volunteering with safe families through our compassion ministry here. Maybe it's fostering. Maybe it's adoption. Our youngest son is adopted, and there's a lot about adoption that's really ordinary. It's providing meals and a bed and a home. But there's also so much about it that is extraordinary too. Depending on God in prayer and asking him how we can extend an invitation of welcome, I really think that he will meet each one of us in our own lives in ways that are for us. They're not for the next person or the next house along from you. He longs to be specific with your life and your circumstances, to work with you to invite people into your day to day. Okay, secondly, hospitality huddles. I know there are people here this morning where this stuff just is really, really challenging for them. I think hospitality sounds simple and fun, but it can be really challenging. And I think that's why we're talking about it in a series on dependence. If you're struggling with the idea of regular hospitality within your own life, I would encourage you to join in with someone that you see doing it. We have four small children and a very chaotic home. And we wouldn't be able to host as regularly as we hopefully do without people who come early to help with bedtime, who stay late to stack the dishwasher, who jump up when the doorbell rings or replace the coffee when it's run out. It may be technically our home, but our friends, people here at Trinity, our family, they host with us. Perhaps be one of those people and join in with a host. Okay, thirdly, practice the Sabbath. We've had some really amazing teaching here at Trinity on the Sabbath and how important it is. I would encourage you to look back and find it if this idea is new to you. There's so much you can read and think about on why having a day a week set aside for yourself to delight in God and to replenish yourself can be so life-giving. Predictably, I love to spend the Sabbath sat around with food and great friends. But perhaps for you, Sabbath could be a day that you set aside to be private. Maybe to spend with your partner or close family. Maybe walking in the peaks miles from anyone. It's okay to retreat and to rest. But if you do that, you're left with six days in a week and potentially 18 meals that you could extend an invitation and welcome someone to the table. Boundaries, rest and privacy are so valuable. But I would challenge us, me included, that living hospitable lives could be the rule and not the exception. Isaiah 58 says this, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. I think we can spend ourselves, our time, our resources. I don't think we need to leave some in the tank. 
we can be confident that God will restore us, replenish us and refresh us. Every day starts fresh and he gives us what we need. There have been countless occasions where we have extended an invitation to dinner or to lunch when a quiet family day would have been really nice. But we have found that we are always blessed and God then gives us the energy we need for the next day. You know, we're promised that his mercy is new every morning. And finally, dependence. This is God's work. It's just not ours. Matthew followed Jesus and obediently opened up his home to his friends. Jesus met them there, eating and drinking with them. Jesus is always the host and the guest. We pray, we give God our day, our week, our home, our table. We follow the nudges, we invite people and we lay the table. We can trust him with the rest. Hospitality, I think, is the God in you searching out and welcoming the God in other people. He's there in everyone. It tells us in Ephesians that he dwells in us. We are being built together as a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He has made a home in us. Because we are welcomed, we can then welcome. We open up our homes because we know we've been welcomed into the household of God. Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of that household. It's all about encountering his presence and inviting others in to do the same. No one in our city is a stranger. Every single person is welcome at his table. And around his table, everyone is invited, like Matthew was, to follow him forever. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. If you are able, let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your welcome. We thank you that in reading the life of Jesus, we see a God who is sat at the table, shoulder to shoulder with us, spending time with us, listening to us, asking questions, never in a hurry, always open. I just wonder this morning if you kind of haven't encountered that welcome before. Maybe God for you is um, the maker of heaven and earth, of the stars and the moon. But a God who sits and shares a meal with you, maybe that's new. 
just pray this morning that God, you would encounter your people here today. Show them your welcome, that you have a seat at the table for them. That they are welcome in your household, you long to make a dwelling place in each one of us Lord yeah Lord I just pray that these thoughts on hospitality won't add to our to-do list won't become a pressure but instead will help us to think about who you are Lord your character your heart for this city the simple and ordinary ways that we can be a part of what you're doing. I just wonder if maybe you could ask God now what this looks like for you. I wonder if for some of us it's actually just, this might sound strange, but maybe next time you sit to eat a meal, just imagining Jesus there at the table with you inviting his presence whether you're alone or with others knowing that he wants to be there in the day to day that the son of man came eating and drinking yeah maybe for you it's thinking about who in your life would be great to welcome Maybe it's an old friend you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe it's a neighbour, a colleague, family. As we depend on God, He provides us with the nudges and we just obediently say yes. Lord, I thank you that you are a hospitable God, that no one is a stranger to 